Most of you are coming from your yoga practice. I'm hoping you got a chance to like, go to the bathroom and get some water and all those things you need before settling into this very important practice. They're all important. It's just important because I'm teaching it today, so it feels more important to me because I'm teaching it today. <laughs> so I have a I have a 19-year-old son, and he goes to college. He's a second semester freshman. He took a semester off. Um, so he's a second semester freshman starting in the, like in a few days, actually, because school starts so early these days. Um, but I got a call from him this morning. Um, it was 5.30 his time. <clears throat> so, no, actually it couldn't have been. It was around 5 o'clock his time, 8 o'clock here, right before coming into the hall. And he had a nightmare. So he... I love that he called me. <laughs> I love that he called me with his nightmare. And I'm sad that he had a nightmare. Um, but it was a really interesting, it was a really, it was multi-layered, it was complicated. Um, he shared the whole thing with me. And a lot of it, there was a, obviously nightmares are fearful, they're scary. But a lot of it felt to me like, he wanted my interpretation, right? Like he wanted me to tell him what it meant. <laughs> Which I said to him, I can't tell you what it means. You can only tell yourself what it means. But my interpretation of it was that the world is scary out there right now. And what had happened in his nightmare was he dug a hole. He was with a lot, there was a lot of people. He was at some kind of music festival or something. He's a, he is a DJ, you know, music producer kind of guy, and he's at, he's at USC for music. Um, and he was at some kind of festival, but it felt really scary and intimidating and overwhelming. And so what he did is he dug himself a hole in the earth to hide in, to hang out in, and he felt really safe in that hole. It was his place. So all these people, and he said it was really trippy because all these old friends from preschool came to say to hang out, you know. And they, so Harry and Parker and Eli, like they all came to hang out and talk to CJ, which is my son. But the thing he noticed the most was that um, he felt like he needed to dig himself a hole and hide in it. And so there, obviously this is the meta sit, right? But a part of that is, I thought it was an interesting call to get this morning, and we talked about it. I actually called, I just talked to him about a half hour ago about it, and he feels better, just so you know. <laughs> it did wake him up, but he's digesting it. He wrote it down, and he's digesting it. But really acknowledging that we come into contact with um, a lot of painful experience out in the world. There's a lot out there that we can't even possibly understand. You know, we can't even try to figure out or understand. 
And then we, we come into here, you know, we come into retreat and say, okay, I'm going to try to forget that that's happening and I'm going to sit with my own mind, <laughs> which is just as scary, or it can be. And then what? What do we do with that? So I come from the mind state and the past and of someone whose mind isn't very friendly. And um, I had to learn how to find a place that was comfortable for myself. There was no, there was no, I felt like there was no place to go that was easeful. And until I found this practice. And then even then, I thought it was full of shit. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> people can't be that happy. Like, that's not true. <laughs> that's not real. We can't love everybody. There's a lot of people not to love. I still feel that way. <laughs> But I still needed to find more ease. And I, I still really needed to work on that place that didn't trust anyone, that was hard, that wanted to kick everyone's ass. You know, that was just like the control factor of if I'm numb, then I'm in control. That's how I'm in control. You can't hurt me that way. So I practiced that religion for a really long time. <laughs> there was probably a bottle involved and a few lines involved and, you know, like rolling some things involved <laughs> in that practice. <laughs> um, but it was sort of fruitless. You know, it didn't end well. So, I don't know. I, I toured a lot of different traditions and a lot of different practices. I went through the Native American practices and the Hindu practices. I grew up Catholic. And, you know, so I went through a lot of different traditions. And then I landed here. And part of why I landed here was because it felt just really like to my pragmatic mind, to my mind that needed proof that I could trust you, to my mind that um, didn't have a whole lot of faith that something else was going to help me, landed on something that went, oh, if you do this, you get to see for yourself what the outcome is. Right, like there was this way that it said, you don't have to believe, you don't have to believe in this practice. You don't have to have faith, nothing. Try it. Just try it, check it out, see what happens. And every time I checked it out and saw what happened, like the results were actually pretty okay. Like I so I learned to trust myself. I learned to have this thing that didn't have to depend on external belief systems or circumstances. And that was really important to me. 
you know, part of that was my conditioning and my parenting, you know, the way that I was parented and all those things. Um, but also just like, um, yeah, let's, I'll just leave it at that. It was important to me. So this sitting period is called the metta period, you know, this loving kindness period. And like I sort of spoke to you yesterday, like I thought this love shit was like, (laughs) yeah, it wasn't going to work for me. It was corny. It was flowery. It was not quite how I felt about the world. So when I heard this story that I want to tell you, um, it actually helped me see this practice in a slightly different way. So the story I want to tell you, and you can, I'm, wel- I'm going to welcome you to be as comfortable as you want right now. Like, you can just be easeful. Right? <laughs> my, my, yeah, my Hindu tradition taught me not to point my feet at the altar, and I'm like, point your feet at the altar. Like, do whatever you need <laughs> right now just to feel at ease. It's okay. Feel comfortable. Story time. <laughs> so, um, see if you can. Like, I love arousing the senses around this because it's been a helpful thing to me. So, imagining 2,600 years ago, right? There weren't roads, there weren't really buildings. Um, there was lots of forest. It was before we decided to chop everything down. <laughs> and imagine the smells that must have been 2,600 years ago. Like I can, I can really smell the rich earth and the jungle and the sounds of the, what it must have been like, you know, on a planet that was full of wildlife that we hadn't yet sort of decided to change. So just putting yourselves there. And then you guys actually are almost acting as renunciates or monastics right now. So in the suttas, they often talked about um, there being 500 monks and nuns. They always use that number, 500. So let's multiply ourselves by five. We're the 500 monks and nuns. You're, in, you're wearing robes and your heads are shaved and you've renounced everything but for your alms bowl, your robes, your mosquito net, your medicine, and a bed to lie on. Those are the five things that the monastics can have still to this day. So just sort of feeling yourself in that place and you're going to be on a four-month, four-month rains retreat. So the rains retreats were held because walking through, oftentimes the monastics were touring. They were going from town to town. But for four months out of the year, they stayed in one place. And the reason was because during that time, um, because of the rains, they didn't want to trample and kill bugs and that were living on the earth. So they stayed in one area. 
So you're being asked by the Buddha, not by Joanna Harper. You're being asked by the Buddha to stay in one part of the earth, in the forest, for four months. And it happens to be a really beautiful place. There's amazing, majestic trees. And the water is meant to look like blue quartz crystal. And there's lush green everywhere. And there's also a village really nearby. And that's important because you, as monastics, um, cannot pick your own food or kill your own food. You go to the local villagers for your daily alms, for your daily food. So just imagining that everything, everything is amazing, right? Like you could not be in a better place. This is beautiful. Food is available. You have everything you need. And there happen to be some tree deities in these big, beautiful trees. And these tree deities think that these 500 monastics are only staying for a day or two. So they're quite friendly and welcoming and they make it easy for you to be there. But when they realize that these 500 humans, probably pretty smelly back in those days, you know, you haven't, (laughs) you never had a shower, (laughs) you never had a bath. (laughs) You're wearing robes that you wear every day. You're probably pretty loud decide you're going to stay. And the tree deities aren't cool with that. So their way of getting rid of you is by sending really terrifying, violent, scary thoughts into your mind. And really disgusting, wretched smells. And vicious, animal sounds. And so suddenly this place that was so glorious starts feeling scary. Because you're out in the forest, you're exposed. You don't have buildings or anything, you're exposed. And all of these wretched, wretched thoughts and smells and feelings are bouncing into you. So these 500 monastics run back to the Buddha and say, no, 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 we can't stay there. This is too scary. This is horrifying. There's no way we can stay. And so he goes into his mind's eye and scans the locales for any place better and says, sorry, that's the best I got. You have to go back. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. You have to stay. So they go back. And he says, but this time when you go back, go back not with fear, not with discouragement, not with doubt, but go back with these loving and kind phrases. Go back to the deities telling them that no matter what you do to us, we're going to love you anyway. 
no matter what you place in our minds, we're just going to shower you with kindness and care and acceptance. And so they actually walk back chanting. They walk back chanting this metta sutta that we've been chanting. And the tree deities melt and they're like, oh, that's so nice. We like you now. This feels good. (laughs) And they let them stay for the next four months to practice. When I, I remember when I first heard that, I thought of um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It reminded me of that. It felt like that. And so we sit here in these bodies, and you know, a lot of the the stories of the Buddha, you know, some of it we know have been passed down. Some of it is mythology. We don't really know, but it's good mythology. Like when I when I think of that story, to me it's just sort of the metaphorical, the inner tree deities that try to scare us and frighten us and send doubt to us and um, sort of position us not to be able to love but to fear. And our world shows that to us. So this is an invitation to even though and even when these things are arising, even when these tree deities are being unfriendly and these violent visions and these horrible stenches and these um, unwelcoming ideas are coming in, going back instead of running and hiding and finding a distraction and finding something else, what's it like to go back and instead say, I know you're here, I see you, and I care about you anyway. That's the invitation of this metta, this idea around care and friendliness and kindness. Which, like I said, for me was a really, really hard thing to grasp. Because if we don't have the modeling of this unconditional love and care and kindness... It's sort of hard to understand that that's possible. So we have to learn it. And by cultivating this kindness and care, we're reteaching ourselves something that maybe we never, or, or teaching ourselves for the first time, something that we maybe never learned before. I know that was true for me. So allowing ourselves to spend this time um, learning something new maybe for the first time, or if you were lucky enough to have parents or examples that showed it to you always, 
yay for you. St. Francis de Sales said, you learn to speak by speaking, run by running. The only way to of attaining love is by loving. Right, so we might need to learn that. So let's maybe learn that together. So you can still remain as comfortable as you'd like. Just finding a posture that works for you, that's easeful and kind to your body. And sitting here knowing that it's completely normal and okay to have doubt that unconditional care and love are possible. And at the same time to start cultivating it. to learn how to do it, to make it possible. To convince your tree deities that there is kindness there. So imagining right now, if you can, and if you can't, that's okay too. Not giving ourselves another reason to judge ourselves if we can't. But if you can, find some place in you that feels caring about yourself. That feels friendly towards yourself. So maybe right now you feel particularly proud that you came on this retreat. Or maybe there's a part of you that really likes how you think. Finding the part of you that you appreciate. Even though we might have a thousand that we don't, but seeing if you can lean in the direction of, oh yeah, I really like this about myself. This is good. This works. 
and giving that appreciation as much space as you can. Letting that be big, that thing or those few things that you really care about yourself, you really like about yourself. And knowing that maybe the tree deities are going to come and tell you you're wrong. And it's not good enough. But this idea of care, of unconditional kindness, might be stronger. It might be more fierce. It could possibly win these ideas of doubt. And I like to use these particular phrases. They help me sometimes, even if I don't believe them all the time, but they help. Just saying, may I be happy. May I be happy. Just letting that wash over you, the idea that that's possible. May I be happy. What would that look like to just be happy, even if it's just for a moment? May I find peace and ease. Allowing ourselves to grow this, to cultivate peace and ease. And how we do that is by paying attention to it, by letting it be there. May I find peace and ease. May I feel safe and protected from harm. This can feel like a big one because there's no guarantees in that. But allowing our hearts and minds just to have that experience right now. May I feel safe and protected from harm. May I be free. May I be free. 
free from whatever it is that holds you, whatever it is that keeps you from a moment of serenity. May I be happy. May I be happy. Just wishing that for ourselves. May I be at peace and at ease. I be at peace and at ease. What does that feel like to receive that? Maybe there's rejection. Maybe there's possibility. Maybe there's total immersion. Whatever it is is okay. Nothing is wrong with your experience right now. May I feel safe and protected from harm. In a world that isn't often friendly, can I just feel that for a little while? May I feel safe and protected from harm. May I be free. May I be free. May I be happy. May I be at peace and at ease. May I feel safe and protected from harm. May I be free. So in whatever way that you choose, if those phrases feel right to you, just allow them to wash over you for a little while. And if they don't, maybe coming up with your own.
And just like with our mindfulness practice, it's easy to get pulled away into other thoughts and experiences. So seeing if you can just return back to a phrase if it works for you. Or maybe there's just a sensation that's aroused when you think about this possibility of warding off that which causes you suffering with something more kind. Like the monastics in the forest who were scared. And so because I forgot to bring the bell over to where I'm sitting, I'm going to ding, ding, ding. (laughs) I'm ringing the bell three times. And again, I I just want to speak from my experience for a few minutes. Um... It took me about three years (laughs) to start being able to practice metta for myself. It just wasn't easily accessible for me. I had to do a lot of forgiveness practice first and had to really let go of some harm I'd caused myself and others before I felt like I was deserving of being happy or being free or being at peace and ease. You know, so just know that um, it's okay if you're not feeling it. It's totally okay. And it's a time-worthy practice. I only did it because I was assigned it by my teacher. <laughs> or else I never would have done it. He made me do it. <laughs> but there was also something I read that's in the Vasudhimaga. So the Vasudhimaga was, is that Buddhaghosa or Buddhadasa? I always get confused. Buddhaghosa. Buddhaghosa. It was written 500 years after um, the Buddha's death. And it talks about the 11 benefits of metta. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I kind of like these. Maybe I'll try it. So, <laughs> so the 11 benefits of metta. You fall asleep easier. I have I totally have insomnia, so I like that one. <laughs> you fall asleep easier. You have sweet dreams if you do metta. You wake easily. That's a good one. <laughs> Animals love you. <laughs> People love you. You have a clear complexion. <laughs> This was written, this was written two thousand years ago. <laughs> Just mind you, um, you have good concentration. 
Which makes sense, right? Because if you're carrying around a lot of heaviness in your heart and in your mind, it's hard to concentrate because that's all we think about is the heaviness. Um, you're protected from harm by devas. So that's the, the tree deities. So you're protected from harm by them if you do metta. Fire, poison, nor weapons can touch you. <laughs> that's valuable. That's a valuable skill. <laughs> <laughs> this is an important one. You die peacefully. And then when you do die, you're going to head for the Brahmin worlds after death. So I don't know. Those, those 11 things made me kind of think like, okay, maybe if I don't believe it, at least I'll try it. Because those, those sort of seem like worthy, uh, worthy things to attempt. <laughs> So just go, go kindly with yourself. You know, I don't, I don't know your lives. I don't know your world. Maybe you guys, like I said, had, had amazing parents and lots of people who loved you and were surrounded by cool teachers and a culture that supported you. And that's awesome. I hope that's true for you. And if not, there's nobody more worthy than ourselves. Nobody. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of that guy. There's nobody more worthy than yourself to love. Even if we've been abandoned or hurt, we get to start here. We get to start here loving ourselves. So carry that with you. Carry that possibility of love, care, friendliness, kindness towards yourself. Thank you truly for your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.